Well, it is uh, good to see you. And uh, the, the 8 o'clock crowd failed at this, so we'll see how you do. It's good to see you. The appropriate response is, it's good to be seen. <laughs> oh, that was an audible. Somebody had it. Was it you, Shirley? Oh, okay. Well, I, I don't know what that really means. I, I think it means that, um, you know, I'm well enough to be out and about, so that's a good thing. But, uh, you know, one of the things that happens every week when we gather and worship and hear the word and fellowship, I mean, what's happening is that we are in a way, and maybe not even a small way, maybe a pretty big way, we are proclaiming and professing our faith. Okay, just the simple act of being here is a profession. Now, does that mean that every person who steps into the church building is a saved person? Just by virtue of stepping in, that you're not saved by osmosis, okay, we know that, that there, there is a, a, a intentional belief and, and uh, a, a significant faith you know, action that has to happen, which is I claim and receive uh, the gospel. Um, but when you come and you, you know, say, I, I either believe or I want to believe, you're professing a, a certain degree of faith. And so when you leave here, um, one of the things that's going to happen tomorrow and the next day um, is that you're going to go and you're going to uh, bump into, run into coworkers, neighbors, friends, family members, and inevitably, one of the questions that happens, this is small talk, okay, just in case you're not aware of how small talk works, here's the first thing that you're going to be asked, what did you do this weekend, right? What did you do this weekend? And your response is, I went to the fair, and saw the demo derby, and it was, no, you're, I mean, hopefully, um, the, the response is not just, you know, the stuff that you do normally, but it's like, okay, I went to church, I want to, I want to share that, I, I, yeah, I went to church yesterday, and it was awesome, it was the best. Now, here's what's going to happen, they will change the subject. No, I mean, depending on who you're talking to, it's either going to be, that's going to be an awkward silence of, okay, great for you, here's what I did, or how about that uh, sporting event or whatever that happened yesterday, or whatever. But sometimes, sometimes you're going to have an opportunity to continue that conversation a little bit further. Would you agree? And even if you don't, okay, even if you don't, the very fact that you can insert a small degree of faith in God into any conversation, any relationship that you have, hopefully will initiate a thought in somebody else's head. You go to church. Why do you do that? What do you get out of that? What's the... What's the, uh, the, the motive? I've been to church, and 
I don't go anymore, and I, you say you believe this, but I'm not sure if I believe it, and it just begins that conversation. Um, but what we want to do is help people to understand the, the deep and powerful transforming message of the gospel. And the gospel is very simply this. God created everything. Man is sinful and lost. Jesus is the redeemer, and I trust in his work in my life. And then I go to church to learn, be encouraged, to affirm, to give him glory for that. And then the rest is details. Amen? It doesn't have to be complicated, but we profess faith, and then we uh, follow that up with an outward, some kind of exclamation, symbol, verbiage, and God gives us baptism. So we're going to talk about baptism um, today, and then next week we're going to talk about discipleship, and I do believe that it goes in that order. Faith, baptism, discipleship. You trust Jesus Christ, you follow that up almost immediately with baptism, and then the rest of your life is learning how to follow. Um, in the last uh, few weeks, we, we concluded our Through the Bible series, and uh, I thought, you know, we could jump right into a new series, but, and I'm, we're going to start going through the life of David here in uh, September. Um, excited about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to dive deep into his story. Um, but we have something pretty awesome and pretty unique here, and I don't know if you realize this, but there are quite a few new faces in our church. Have you recognized that there's a few new faces in the church? Um, and God is, is uh, being so gracious to just continue to draw people to our church. A couple of things that happen. Um, a lot of folks that come as visitors or are just starting to come back to church are coming out of different uh, traditions, different uh, church traditions, or no Bible or no Christian background at all. And so I thought, you know, what we need to do is we need to spend a little bit of time, even though many people are very familiar with our understanding biblically of baptism, but maybe there's a lot of people who don't, who don't know what the Bible teaches, they don't know why we do what we do versus what some other churches do. And so we're going to dive into that. We're going to deal with some doctrinal things. We're going to deal with, you know, what it means to grow as a believer. We're going to deal with, um, and most people are super excited about this, um, giving. And, um, and it's other things that are, are important. So uh, I'm not going to tell you which week we're going to do giving, just so you don't... Uh, stay home. Apparently it's not a hugely exciting topic for everybody. But uh, we're going to talk about the Great Commission for the next couple of weeks. So why don't we stand and read God's Word together. This is Matthew 28, starting in verse 16, and Jesus' um, Great Commission. There's a great commandment, which is love God and love your neighbor, and the commission, which is this. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name 
of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And Father, we um, give you all glory and thanks and praise and worship, and we just uh, bring our hearts to you right now, Lord. We thank you for even a simple act of just arriving at church or watching or logging on and, and listening. Lord, we thank you that we have um, the ability to just profess faith even by showing up. And Lord, we pray that that profession would um, not stop, but that it would uh, be amplified, Lord, as we leave this place, that we would proclaim, profess um, what it means to know and follow Jesus, that we would profess that there is a great God. He can be known. He can be trusted that your promises are true and that they are accessible and that they are uh, ours, Lord, through a simple act of faith, that uh, that profession, Lord, would lead to other people to profess that, Lord, we, we know that many, most, if not all the people here today um, have been uh, encouraged by someone else's profession of faith, and that's why they're here, because someone showed them told them, lived it out authentically, that, uh, that the Christian life and the Christian message is true and it's real and it's powerful. And God, it's our turn to declare that to another generation, to our community and our time. And so, Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, uh, again, empower us to know and understand why we believe what we believe, to live it out faithfully and to glorify you in it. And Lord, we pray for great fruit and great results for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. So how many of you um, remember your baptism? Raise your hand if you remember your baptism. Um, how many of you were baptized more than once? Several. How many of you were baptized more than twice? Less, more than three times. How many of you get baptized every weekend? <laughs> no. Um, I, I say that because I was baptized four times. And um, they were, uh, two of them were in Israel, in the Jordan River, which are just um, significant in the sense of just being there where Jesus was and in the same water and, and all of that. that but uh, my first two... Uh, my first baptism was when I was 12, like many people, um, in the Baptist or in the evangelical traditions that we come from, um, there was a sense of, okay, I'm supposed to do this because I'm of the age and uh, this is what people do and you go forward and you say you want to be baptized and I believe, I don't disbelieve and so it's the right time and that's kind of what happened. And I didn't doubt that God was real or that Jesus was his son or any of those things, um, but I did not necessarily personally at that point, and this is just me, okay, I did not necessarily understand the lordship of Jesus in my life, okay? I went through, even as a, uh, in a, in a believing uh, tradition, um, I still went through the religious motions, okay? That can happen. It can happen in a Baptist church. It can happen in any church, okay? You can go through the religious motions without understanding 
the real, the meaning behind it or what it's really about. Doesn't disqualify the significance of what you're doing necessarily, but for me, um, I had a, a long time of just wandering in my life and in my faith until I came to, I say a long time, not really that long. When I was 19, I realized the, the need for a personal relationship with God and the Lordship of Jesus. And so within that seven-year period, I got baptized again. Same church, same Hank, same pastor, my dad. And I remember um, it was so significant to me that I wanted to be baptized again, not because I believed that the baptism was going to save me or change me, but because I had been changed. And I wanted to publicly profess that. Um, this church that I'd grown up in had seen me from 12 to 19 and knew, you know, my rebellion and, and my life and how I acted and how I talked. And I wanted them to know and I wanted the world to know something had changed. Um, and so I, I asked my dad if I could uh, be baptized again. And he said, you don't need to. And I said, I know I don't need to, but I really want to. And so um, he graciously was willing to do that. And so I was baptized again at 19. And this kind of profession that uh, you know, I went through is what I hear a lot of people go through. Um, whether they were baptized as infants in, in another tradition or baptized as uh, young people, even in our own tradition, um, they may not feel the need to be baptized again. That's okay. But there's this sense of there was something that I kind of missed in that earlier expression that I came to understand much better later. And that means that because now I am transformed, I want the world to know that something's happened in my life. Amen? That's what the Great Commission is ultimately about. Jesus is um, going to commission his apostles and his disciples and and how many of you know that there were 11 apostles, but there were many, many, many disciples, okay? Um, so he commissions them to go and make disciples. Now, the word go is not, this is going to be a shock to you, because in the evangelical church, we pound the word go into your minds. Go Make disciples. Go, you know, like we want to really urge and compel and motivate you to go. But the word in uh, Greek is not a verb. The, the word is actually as you're going, wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, wherever you happen to be, okay, make disciples. So the verb is make disciples wherever you are. So you're at home with your family, what do you need to be doing? You need to be going somewhere, or you need to be making disciples? When you're at work, when you're at school, when you're with your friends, with, with your neighbors, when you're at the event, whatever it is, the party, I mean, how do we make disciples? Um, we profess our faith, and we invite people to that same faith, okay? That's the verb, is to make disciples, but then it's followed up immediately 
with baptized. And here's, I'm, I'm just going to kind of dive into the reason why we believe that the Bible says that believers are baptized and then discipled in that order. You're, you profess faith in Jesus, you follow that up with this symbol, which is baptism, and then you spend the rest of your life learning and growing what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Now, the who, when, where, what, and why of baptism. Okay, so who's baptized? Um, here's what the Bible says, and I'm going to be very general here, but in every New Testament command and instance of baptism, the requirement of faith precedes baptism. Did you catch that? If you were to pick up the New Testament and know nothing of Christianity and know nothing of church or religion or tradition, didn't grow up in any church body whatsoever, if you were just to simply pick up the New Testament, read it all the way through, your conclusion would have to be that you profess faith in Jesus and then you get baptized and then you learn how to follow him. That's what you would learn. Agree, disagree? Agree. Okay. So I don't need to pound that point too hardly, but the issue is that um, we're going to get into why do, if that's the case, so many traditions don't follow that order. Do you know that? Many of you raised your hand when I said, were you baptized as an infant? Yeah, you're, because there was something else happening there, which was not what the Scripture teaches. Scripture teaches, and all I would ask you to do is just go back through and read it. But here's what we're going to do. The who is believers. You profess faith, and then you get baptized. The when and the where. Um, the when is, in the New Testament, almost immediately. If you read through the accounts of baptism in the New Testament, it's almost as soon as somebody says, I believe in Jesus, um, they find water and they get baptized. Um, now, the account of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8, remember Philip, he's kind of uh, compelled by the Holy Spirit to go talk to this guy, this Ethiopian guy in the chariot. He's reading Isaiah. He's like, well, this, who's the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? And then uh, Philip begins to tell him about Jesus, and he says, okay, yeah, I believe Jesus. And then he says, okay, right in the same conversation that they're having, how many minutes or hours this was, we don't know, but he says, uh, here's some water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip says, nothing that I know of, okay, right? I mean, that's, I'm paraphrasing, but says, okay, let's do this. So he baptizes him immediately. And in the church, a lot of times what happens, because we're so careful not to have false converts, which is an important thing, um, we, we kind of want to hold off on, well, make sure that you really know, and let's put it off for a while, maybe take you through some classes. And, and in this church, um, we have tried to follow what the Bible says, which is, you profess faith in Jesus, you're ready to be baptized. And we'll spend the rest of our lives learning what that means to follow him, okay? Um, and here's what I need to tell you. 
There should be nothing in our tradition that we will hold on to if the Bible disagrees, okay? That, that should be our uh, priority, that we want to think biblically even if that means that we have to give up something that we've been thinking or doing, a practice, a religious exercise that has no really valid meaning. We need to be willing to say, that doesn't, that doesn't correlate with what this says. Let's get rid of that, okay? Our priority is to be faithful to what the Word of God says, even if it hurts our heart, hurts our feelings. <laughs> I, sometimes I hurt my own feelings. You ever do that? Like, man, that's what the Bible says I'm supposed to think about that? And I'm, I have to be willing to allow the, the Word of God to bring conviction to my heart. If we're not willing to do that, then we're, we're no better off than anyone else. Okay? The Word of God has to take priority. So the who and the when, the when and the where, here's the other thing about when and where. Immediately and... Um, into a church body, okay? What that means is that um, there's only one instance in the whole New Testament that we know of where somebody was baptized, and I just mentioned them, the Ethiopian eunuch, somebody was baptized as an individual and was not part of a church body or part of a group or part of a, 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 a family of God somewhere. But this Ethiopian eunuch what we know from church history and tradition is that he went back to Ethiopia and he started to share the gospel and build a church in Ethiopia, okay? Immediately, he's proclaiming and professing his faith and people are coming to know Jesus. But every other instance in the New Testament is that when a person was baptized, they were baptized into a group of people uh, who also professed faith in Jesus Christ and were willing to learn and grow together. So, in this church, what we do is we connect baptism and church membership very closely so that you cannot join this church body unless you will obey the Lord in baptism. doesn't mean you have to be baptized here, but we believe that this is such an important teaching and, and function of what it means to profess your faith that in order to join the church body, baptism has to be part of your, your religious or, or faith experience, okay? Then here's the other part of it. We sometimes will have somebody say, well, I, I want to get baptized, but I don't want to join the church. We don't prefer that because baptism and church membership, and, you know, we don't get caught up in membership terms too much, but being part and joined to the body is a very important aspect of what it means to be a Christian. Being a solo Christian out here on your own is uh, rarely seen in the Bible, and it rarely works in personal experience, okay? Part of a church body is an important aspect of what it means to be a Christian. So when you're baptized, uh, it's almost immediately and, and uh, uh, permanent, well, I don't want to say permanent, <laughs> You can go join another church, but it's part of what it means to be baptized, to be part of the church. Um, and then the what. What is baptism? We, we know here what we talk about it being, but where does it come from? 
Um, the, early Christ, or the early Jewish people in Jesus' day were in, uh, involved in what was called ceremonial washings. You know this? That they would uh, wash everything with water. They, they were very clean, very hygienic. And they also had this practice called mikvah where they would um, dunk their whole bodies into water as an act of ceremonial cleansing. Okay? And, and throughout his, uh, Israel, there are uh, thousands of these tanks in people's homes um, that, uh, or in other buildings, but that are uh, part of this culture of ceremonial washing. And what they would do, and how we know that this is part of their culture, was that there are stairs that lead down into it and then stairs that lead back up, two separate sets of stairs in these tanks. So they're not just cisterns for water, but they are meant for people to go into and come out of. And what happened was, what they would do is they would go in on one side and they would dunk themselves in water and then they would go on a separate staircase back up, um, cleansed and purified. Okay, That was the Jewish tradition. John the Baptist, when he baptized people, he says, you need to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, or a baptism of repentance. They knew exactly what he was talking about when he's baptizing people, because they, they had that practice already. Jesus takes the same concept, the same practice, and he further brings meaning into it. He says, not only are you baptized for the repentance of your sins, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit for eternal salvation. Now, what comes first, faith or baptism? Faith. Which one saves you? Faith. But baptism was the sign and the symbol that you had received the gift of eternal life. Okay? And so that's, the, that's what baptism is. The word, how many of you know a little bit of Greek? Baptizo is um, not translated, it's transliterated, okay? What that means is we took this Greek word, baptizo, we didn't translate it, we just brought it over into English, and it's baptize. If you were to translate it, it would mean to immerse. So we say, this is what the Bible says, this is the example that we're giving, we're, this is what we're going to do. We're going to baptize, immerse, um, believers who profess faith, and we're going to do it as soon as we can, and we're going to join people into the body, and this is going to be the enduring symbol of what it means to profess your faith. So that answers the why, because it's a public proclamation of what I believe about Jesus. Amen? Now, let me give you top six reasons uh, we believe the Bible teaches believers baptism. I already gave you one. Every New Testament command an instance of baptism, uh, the requirement of faith precedes, comes first, okay? There are, number two, no explicit instances of infant baptism. No explicit instances in the Bible. I'll come back to that um, in, a, in a minute. Number three, in Colossians 2.12, Paul explicitly defined baptism as an act done through faith. He says, having been buried with him, okay, immersed in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. In baptism, you were raised up with Christ through faith, your faith, not somebody else's. Anybody realize this? You're going to go before God one day, 
You're going to leave planet Earth. You're going to stand in his presence, and you will be alone. It'll be you and God, not mom, not dad, not Pastor Luke, not anybody else except for Jesus. You're going to trust Jesus for salvation or you're not. You stand before God without Jesus, that's a scary thing. Now God's going to have to judge you based on the law. How have you been doing? Anybody? Feel pretty good about that? I want Jesus there beside me saying, he's good. Amen? Your faith. Nobody is grandfathered into heaven. Number four, Apostle Peter in his first letter defined baptism this way. said, not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism is an appeal to God for a good conscience. Outward act of the expression of the inner confession. Okay? Uh, number five. I, I, by the way, I do have this sheet for you in the foyer if you want a copy you want to just go through these and look at them and study it yourself you're more than welcome number five the apostle paul uses baptism as the enduring symbol of the believer's union with the death burial resurrection of jesus in romans 6 1 through 5 okay and the whole thing is about being buried with christ and raised to walk in what we say we're quoting scripture the newness of life right so this is strong argument not only for believers baptism but for immersion no other symbol is going to give you the sense of being buried and being raised so it's all through the new testament number six i'm gonna i'm gonna hold on to for a minute because here's the thing if the bible so clearly seems to be teaching a believer's baptism by immersion why do so many traditions, in fact, the majority of Christians in the world, why do they practice infant baptism? Is, does he ever scratch your head over that? I don't know. Do you want me to tell you why? <laughs> okay, buckle up. So, we got to go back in time. We got to go all the way back to... Uh, the days of Jesus and the apostles, okay? And there was a church um, growing by profession of faith and then baptism and then discipleship. This happened for 300 years plus. And the church was, this is where we as Baptists, we, we say that we are um, part of that tradition, the first century church tradition that professed faith, was baptized, and discipled, okay? But what happened in the mid-300s was that there was a new Roman emperor, and his name was, anybody know? Constantine. And Const I don't know if somebody said that or what they said, but um, that's okay. Constantine. Now, Constantine, we're, we're going to say that he was a Christian, okay? Um, by all you know, evidence, we, we would say, yeah, he's, he's a Christian, even though maybe he didn't have everything quite worked out correctly, that's okay. But uh, what happened was he believed that he won his military strategy and battles and, and, and things through a certain superstition, which was that he put crosses on the, the shields of his soldiers, and he won, and he became the emperor. And so he said, okay, Christianity's the deal, and, and we need to be a Christian nation. 
Sounds good. In fact, it sounded so good that Christians who were professing faith and believing and trusting Jesus were pretty ecstatic about that because for the first time in 300 years, they weren't being persecuted. They were pretty overjoyed that the emperor finally legalized their, their faith. But, okay, how many of you know that there's a but here? Now that we are going to legalize Christianity, not only are we going to legalize it, now we're going to require all Roman citizens to be Christians. How do you do that? When your faith, when your, when your whole Christian identity is based on conversion through faith, believing, trusting Jesus, but now you're a Roman, now you're a Christian. How do you accomplish that? Well, a couple of things, a lot of things. One thing was that they went ahead and started just baptizing everybody because that was the symbol of being a Christian. We'll just baptize everyone and they'll, they'll be a Christian, right? So do you stop with the adults or do you go ahead and baptize the kids too? Well, let's go baptize the kids too and then they'll just be Christians from day one or day eight when they started. And you can't. I mean, you could. Anybody had a little baby that you'd like for me to take and dunk in some water? Um, eight days old. Now, you could do that. It's possible. I just would imagine, what, how do you do it? And the baby's going to be squirming and probably not too happy. You're going to cover their little face with your hand? And are you going to drop them when you pull them out of the... I mean, that's just logistically uh, was difficult. So expediency says sprinkles. Well, just a little bit will do. Why You don't have to dunk them under the water. Let's just sprinkle people and we'll get this thing done fast. And you got a big group like this. How quick could we baptize you all? I just run up and down the aisles. <laughs> and you're good. And so I'm kind of joking a little bit, but um, some of that was, was the, the process. We're, we're trying to bring people into Christianity through expediency as a, as a law instead of what it historically was, which was a conversion through faith. Did some of those people and many of those people believe? I, be, I believe they did. Some of them believed. But now we have a gigantic community of Christians and many of which are still pagans. So the next thing that's going to happen is that we have to figure out some way to Christianize the pagan practices of the populace. Well, how do you do that? Well, let's take the little statues that you're worshiping, okay, those little stone, wood, and metal figures that you like to have, and let's just call them by different names. Keep them. We don't want to upset people. But now instead of Zeus, we're going to call it St. Peter. And you can talk to St. Peter and, and, and tell St. Peter that you would like him to help you with, etc. Let's call that one Mary. And Mary, please talk to your son Jesus about the things that you know, are going on in my life. I'm telling you, 
a lot of the things that we scratch our head about that are happening in some of these traditions, which we know are not biblical, have no basis in the Bible whatsoever, were done out of expediency, not out of a biblical um, conviction. Now, I'm not trying to be down on all of other traditions. There, I think that uh, there are many, many, many people in those other traditions that are solid, faithful, Jesus-loving, saved people. Amen? There are some practices that are troubling. Infant baptism may be the least troubling of all of the things that we may uh, have questions about. Uh, but that was part of the history of that, okay? That's part of where that comes from. The other thing was, now that we have this way, we have to figure out the why. Why would we do this? And the reason was because, are you still with me or are you guys getting like bored out of my, your minds? <laughs> now we have to philosophically come up with a reason why this is okay. And the philosophical reasoning behind it was that they taught baptismal regeneration, okay? You know what baptismal regeneration is? It means that they believed it was the very act of baptism which saved you. So now we have, in mid-300s, a huge church that has separated faith from Christianity. All we have to do is religiously and um, in many ways uh, superstitiously get some water on you and you're Christian. Faith not required. See the problem? You take those historical and philosophical practices and beliefs and now you have to figure out where does that fit in the Bible. And you and I would say it doesn't fit in there anywhere. But here's where they try to cram it in there. This is what the one I saved. When the New Testament church debated um, Acts chapter 15, whether circumcision should be uh, still required of believers or part of the becoming Christian. Um, so here's what happened. Um, in the Old Testament, the enduring symbol of being a, a Jewish person, of being an Israelite, was circumcision and they circumcised babies. Well, what they did was they said, uh, baptism is now what circumcision was in the Old Testament. So we'll just baptize people, and they'll just be Christians. Just like in the Old Testament, they circumcised, and they were Jewish people. Two problems. One is, Paul says, not everyone who is Israel is truly Israel. It's those who believe. It is those who have faith and those who trust God who are truly Israel. So not everyone who's just part of the ethnic group are necessarily Israel. Okay, that's one problem. The other one was a very interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about before, but um, the New Testament church debated in Acts chapter 15 about what it requires to be a believer as a Gentile. Okay, you remember this whole story? The believers in Antioch um, were becoming Christians. They were not Jewish people. And then the Pharisees back in Jerusalem were debating this whole issue. Like, well, they have to become Jewish. They have to get circumcised. They have to follow the law. And then they can be Christians. 
And so they talk about it, Peter and James and Paul and Barnabas are debating this whole thing. And so, well, what do, what do they do? What should they do? How do they, you know, make sure that they're all on the up and up and can be included? And here's what's interestingly uh, neglected. If circumcision and baptism were the same thing correlated just Old Testament, New Testament, then they would have concluded they don't need to be circumcised because all they need to be is what? Baptized. Problem solved. Would have been a pretty simple uh, conclusion to come to. Would you agree? It's never brought up. It's never given as a solution. It's never suggested. It's not the issue. Circumcision and baptism are not correlated. And, and that may be surprising. Like, oh, I thought that was the, this, the thing. But here's the reason why I think they didn't correlate those two things, because if you did, then you might believe that just by being baptized, then therefore you are definitely saved. Faith not required. That would be a problem. So they, they didn't go there with baptism. It's an act of obedience. It's not the, it's not the act of salvation. Okay. Here's the other thing. I, I mentioned this already, but I'll mention it again. Household baptisms. Where do we fit infant baptism into the Bible? If we've already concluded that we're going to baptize infants, how do we fit it into the Bible? Well, you got three places in the New Testament where households were baptized. Maybe that's the solution, and that's the primary argument of traditions that baptize infants is that there must have been infants in these households. Therefore, infant baptism is preferred and permitted. Right? Sound feasible? Only if you start with the practice already. Okay? But here's what the Bible actually says. Acts 16.15, uh, um, you have the mention of Lydia and her household being baptized. Acts chapter 16.30-33, you have the Philippian jailer and his household. And then you have in 1 Corinthians uh, 1.16 a mention of the household of Stephanus. That's it, those three. Now, Stephanus and Lydia, no details are given whatsoever, just the, the mention of their household being baptized. The Philippian jailer, we have a little bit more detail, and it says this, they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who are in his house. Therefore, what would you conclude? The people in the house were able to understand and respond to the word. Okay. Are you with me? You got, it, does that make sense? It's, it's explicit. This is the detail that we have. He spoke the word. They received the word. They responded to the word. They were baptized as a response of faith to what they were proclaiming. So in order to get to infant baptism from there, you just have to say, well, maybe there were infants. You, and, and listen, we're not mad about it um, because we don't believe in baptismal regeneration. We don't believe that, that people are not going to be saved if they don't get baptized at the right time because you're not saved by that. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works so no one can boast so you don't have to worry although 
what we're hoping is that out of a sense of God's conviction in your heart, when you have professed faith in Jesus, that you would listen to the clear teaching of God's word, the clear direction of Jesus, and his movement of the Holy Spirit in your life and say, I need to proclaim to the world that I belong to Jesus and he said to be baptized. I'm going to do that out of obedience. Amen? You're like, well, I've been baptized. Okay. Here's the next thing. I, uh, and I'll, I'll try to stop here. I don't agree with the history of why and I don't agree with the philosophy of why, but there is a sense of the spirit of why. Um, much of the church that does what we would not necessarily agree with is, is doing infant baptism out of a sense of proclaiming faith. Would you agree? The parents are proclaiming faith. They want to protect their children. They want to, they want to share their faith with their church body. I believe in Jesus, and they're putting that symbol on their, their infant child. Um, so I don't agree with the practice or the reason why, but I do agree with the spirit, which is that we need to profess our faith, and we want to help our new generation come to faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? So we get baptized as believers, and then, but here's the thing. For you and for me, okay, I remember probably maybe 100 people, maybe less, in our church when I got baptized, okay? Just a normal, you know, small town, little church, um, and probably zero of those 100 people besides me and maybe my family remember that occasion. That's, that's not really the point. How many of you were baptized on national TV or... You know, went, your baptismal went viral or anything like that, okay? That occasion is just a simple um, little, it's significant, but it's a moment in time. But then your life is significant. Your life proclaims your faith every day. What you do, how you live, where you go, how you talk, who you spend time with, who you interact with, how you interact with those people, how you forgive, how you bless, how you give. I mean, all those things are proclaiming your faith all the time. And so, like I started out with, you know, you, you come here to this church to profess your faith. Would you agree? I mean, that's part of what we're doing. We're saying, I believe. But my hope and my prayer is that you leave this place continuing that profession in your daily life, that your family sees that it's real, that your coworkers understand that there's something different about you, that, that your friends and neighbors interact with you and they say, there's, there's, a, there's something about this. It's real to them. And maybe it could be real to me too. Amen? That's why we don't want to function in religious practices that are meaningless or superstitions that, that are, are not part of God's plan. We want to be authentic, believing, Bible-trusting Christians. And by the grace of God, he'll take that little witness that you have, and he'll impact somebody else's life. And Father, we thank you that uh, you 
have changed us. You're continuing to change us. You're continuing to grow us, Lord, in your will and your word and, and the understanding of what it means to follow Jesus, Lord. And I know, just looking back over my life, how uh, many things I got wrong for so long, even after I said Jesus is Lord of my life, I struggled to understand and to obey and to do and there's always going to be struggles like that, Lord, but we proclaim Jesus, Lord, as Lord, not, our, not ourselves. We proclaim your strength, not our own strength. We proclaim your goodness, not our own goodness, and your grace, and, and your wisdom, and, and your power, and Lord, we are um, servants. We are receivers, and, and we are simply um, witnesses of all that you are and all that you do. And so pray, God, I, I pray that you would bless us with um, significantly more power than uh, anything that we've known to continue to declare the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, that this dark world, uh, Lord, would see the light, that it is great to be one of your children. It is better than anything this world offers. And so we uh, are encouraged again that so many people are believing or want to believe. And I pray that you would um, just bring that confirmation today for salvation, for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So next uh, Sunday we have a, a baptism. And uh, always excited about that, and I just want to encourage you, after today, you may be thinking about your own um, faith and, and why or why not you've, you know, uh, hesitated to be baptized, and so I want to encourage you, don't take my word for it. I, I always encourage you not to just take mine or anyone else's word for it. Go back, look at the word, see what it says. And if God can fix your heart and says, yeah, I haven't followed in obedience in, in this way, and you need to do that, man, I would, we could spend a whole Sunday just baptizing people, amen? That'd be a great service to have, would you agree? So that would be our message, and we'd be happy to do that. Um, but let us know that whether or not and at uh, what point you need to make that step of obedience. Um, for everyone else, I'm just going to say, as we pray and sing and close, um, where are you proclaiming your faith? How are you proclaiming your faith? Let the Lord convict you, encourage you, strengthen you um, on that issue. Amen? Let's stand and sing.